Welcome to Active Activism, part of the Femme On Collective. On this show, my guests shared the causes important to them, how they became involved, and why we should be active in our activism. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us for Active Activism. Today's guest is a pillar on the poetry scene and in the literary community. My first experience with Vogue Robinson was at Winchester Community Center when, as our local poet laureate, she brought in the nation's poet laureate, Tracy K. Smith, as an instructor. Vogue led that workshop with such power and grace, organizing like a boss while allowing Tracy to shine. And she did. Tracy was fantastic. But I came away from the experience more drawn to Vogue. So fast forward a few years, Vogue and I rubbed literary elbows here and there, and I just saw her candle burn bright and her poetry evoked an, a spiritual experience. So when I hosted the 52 Love podcast, I wanted my audience to know her. She and her husband, AJ, were my guests for week 23, volunteering with your partner. And in that episode, I learned about Poetry Promise, Nevada Partnership for Homeless Youth, Fisher House, Food Not Bombs, and FreeRice.com. Turns out Vogue was a longtime active activist, and the way she inspired with so many examples, it planted one of the seeds that led to this series. So all of that, combined with April being National Poetry Month here in the U.S., made it a no-brainer to invite her as today's active activist. Welcome, Vogue. Please introduce yourself and tell listeners what you do. Oh, thank you so much, Tanya. Thank you for having me. That was awesome. Uh, that, was, that was such beautiful reflections of uh, life, <laughs> Pre, <laughs> pre-pandemic life. Yes. Good God. Uh, but yes, I'm Vogue Robinson. I'm poet, author, teaching artist, um, director of development at Left of Center Art Gallery, uh, mentor and then officially rolling into my auntie status, which is the the best kind of activism. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I really believe that because when we were investing in our families and our extended families, we're bringing up an army of activists. You know, one hundred percent. Well, why don't you share with us a bit about your activist journey and why your advocacy is important to you? Oh gosh, that's like a big question. Okay, I have to chop <laughs> it. <a> big show. <laughs> Activist journey. Uh, I think the first rally I ever went to was like, it was like a rally against Pick Sweet, and like I was rolling with my Chicano Chicana homies, and, and like. <laughs> I'm I'm loud and it was the first time it was okay to be as loud as I am and so then it became like oh I speak just enough Spanish to get down with this so it was like we're walking down the street Edward James almost was there and it was uh just and the discussion in the intersection of of workers and so it was both um people of Mexican descent and Filipino workers and talking about like what's what's going on how are people being treated and so it was a cool event that combined the cultural celebration that I think everybody is attracted to where it's like, oh, food, music, dancing. And it's like, yeah, that's great. And also struggle and that you can't separate those two things. Or when you do, you leave out a really important part of what, um, where people come from and what their, what their culture was born from some components of their culture. So yeah, right walking down the street, you know, and see se puede. And I was like, oh, I could do this all day. <laughs> that was, I think I don't even know how old I was for that. I just remember being in LA 
uh, why was I in LA? Yeah, I couldn't tell you why, when, where. Um, but I think if you go further back, it's also like my grandmother teaching students who were indigenous and students who um, were Mexican but didn't speak Spanish and her pushing them to learn their native tongue and saying, you know, if you don't speak this language, who's going to pass it down? Uh, and especially in a lot of indigenous cultures, the, the language is only verbally taught. It's only yeah. it's, it's oral tradition. So if you don't learn your native tongue, it dies. Um, and what does that mean for your history, for your stories? So I think, you know, watching her do that, her being that kind of a teacher was always really inspiring. And then like in college, it was just, I don't know. I guess I'm, I don't know if I'm a busybody. I don't know what word we're going to use to <laughs> describe me <laughs> but I, I like helping I like feeling useful um my love language is typically like acts of service so it's it's never like I mean and then like words of affirmation like I'm either showing up or I'm sending you a really nice note or like I don't know spirit sends me like the thing that I need to be saying to you and I'll I'll not fight that I'll be like I'm gonna just text this person because I, I sense that this, like, this is the way these are yes. the words this person needs. <laughs> yes. I absolutely do that too. So I, I get it. <laughs> yeah. You just have to listen. So I think, I think over the years, my, this is completely, uh, you know, who is it? My friend Deborah says like black people are nonlinear. So this is going to be real nonlinear. <laughs> like, no, this has been in order, Tanya. Um, you know, somebody else can make a proper timeline. That's not my, that's not my gig. But I think that over time, my ideas of what activism is has changed over the years. So I think when we first think about it, it is blocking off the freeway. Like, I think that's how we got a, a Africana studies department at, at San Diego State was I think they blocked the freeway. And so that's how they got it. Uh, so there are those ways where it's like, you have to disrupt the societal norms and kind of, this is the birth of woke, you know, you like waking yeah. up, shaking people and being like, yo, here's a thing that is inequitable here's a thing where people are being treated less than or people are being ignored or not brought up or, or thought of in in the conversation here's you know 85 doors that are and doorways that are not accessible wtf like do you want right. students who, who are differently able to be able to come to your school within well, fix the walkways then make sure that this door when i push the button that it opened why is every door on this campus so damn heavy just there i think <laughs> Or why do they all open outward? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so I think after a while of studying, like I spent a lot of time in undergrad in our cross-cultural center. And uh, because I was an intern, we took a lot of different classes and we studied like Susan Comavez. I don't even remember the name of the book, but it was the green book. It was basically like our social justice Bible. <laughs> and each chapter we got to, we had to write something about, you know, what are the privileges that we found in ourselves? And so it was never just, okay, I am a black woman in America. Like here are all these things quote, stacked against me, if you will. And then you turn the page and it's like, and this is what happens with people who have disabilities. This is how people, um, you know, who are in the LGBTQ community, here's how they're treated or how sometimes they're ostracized um, and learning about intersectionality. So yes. everything crosses and gets really haywire. So I would say, you know, it's always been, in my steps. And I think, um, frustratingly as a black woman, I think even the way we decide to wear our hair is a statement of activism. And so it's just built into the way you live, whether you like it or not. Um, it is how it will be perceived. 
And so I think over time, it's just, uh, I've made different decisions on what I want my activism to look like. Does that make sense? Did I answer your question? Absolutely makes sense. So you were poet laureate here from 2017 to 2019. How did that position allow you to advocate for the arts and what were the expectations involved with that? Ooh. Uh, I think the expectations were definitely uh, to do what I said I was finna do, <laughs> which, is, <laughs> which is maintain the programming that Bruce, the previous laureate, had done. And then I added in um, the Alzheimer's Poetry Project. Um, I completed kind of the circuit that he and Heather, him and Heather Lang actually worked together to make. And this is pre-Lang Casera. <laughs> like this is while she was still just Heather Lang. But when they were working on writing grants for poets in the schools, which is a program that brings poets it literally into the classrooms to teach poetry, um, but in a very like a, a more informal way that allows it to be more fun. We, we teach writers who are still living. <laughs> we teach also writers within our community. And that was super duper important. So I, I planned on and brought forth that program. So they, they laid the groundwork and I just kind of sealed the deal, submitted the grant to Nevada Arts Council and we brought in a trainer from California because it's modeled after the California Poets in the Schools program. So that was a, a freaking huge deal <laughs> and, uh, because that, actual training. And that, I guess some of it was like Bruce's dream and my dream was poets should be getting paid. Artists should be getting paid when they step into a room and they're going to be the entertainment or the education or, oh, the cool thing. And the oh oh and we, ooh, bonus here's a poet but it's like I'm not a cute party trick I'm I'm a professional yes uh, this is my at this point for me it's my it's a very large chunk of my livelihood so um, helping artists develop that take themselves seriously find confidence in themselves and then to share it with others to make poetry more accessible because even the teachers once we offered the te teachers were like oh you'll come in and teach poetry so I don't have to teach it huh come on down because yeah. people see it as so far away from themselves. So really letting people in and, and allowing for people to see that there's, there's more to poetry than, than just Shakespeare. Yes. Read your Shakespeare. And yes, there's more, but wait, there's more. <laughs> so, but wait. <laughs> I think those are the main, yeah, the main things. And just, you know, you're a, it's a public figure position. So even when I was invited because I was Vogue, it didn't matter. Like, it's, it's, you know, your equivalent of a letterman jacket always on. I'm always Clark County Poet Laureate, even yes. if I just want to be like, oh, I'm Vogue, just getting some poems or, oh, you know, I'm such and such's cousin. No, the Poet Laureate of Clark County. That's so right. Best foot forward. Um, so a certain amount of pressure around it. Um, yeah, but I made, I made my own choices. <laughs> so that was, um, I would say the expectations of the role. And I would say the way that it allowed me to advocate was, I don't know. I just wanted poetry everywhere. I think it is already everywhere. And I just wanted to shine light on that um, to empower others to do what I do. Like I really, it was rare that I got a gig and I didn't invite somebody else to come and do that gig with me um, or that I didn't add two more names to the list and say, hey, this person would be great next year. Um, even this year I have I have gigs from those days that I've passed on I've divvied up my gigs to three different people in the valley <laughs> so are you paying it forward and you're being a good literary citizen yeah I mean I, I probably need to write more reviews and that's 
that's on the list <laughs> but I yeah I would say those were those are like the big things is helping artists learn how to write grants for themselves um and I don't know just I don't like gatekeeping and it, it's like when you stand in a circle with people and there's one person that's kind of outside of the circle and like I always notice that because I feel like I used to be that person who was just standing right outside of the circle of the conversation. And it's like, fucking back up and make some room. And I, and I hope that that's what I tried to do all the time was just back up a little bit and make some room. Yeah. I absolutely see that in what you do, which kind of brings us to poetry promise. Mm -hmm. Tell listeners about that. Yeah. I have actually stepped down. I was like, I was talking about things I've passed on. <laughs> I have stepped down from Poetry Promise. Uh, but, but you started it, didn't you? I co, yes, I did. I did early paperwork. <laughs> you <laughs> did more than did. early paperwork. <laughs> I know. I mean, that, that, that's like, and it wouldn't be, you wouldn't have it without the early paperwork. Like nobody, nobody takes pictures of like, here we are. Uh, so I don't know if you know Alice Edwards, but uh, we we got Alice Edwards on to help with some of that paperwork as well. And she submitted it. And like, if you need a nonprofit, then call Alice. <laughs> She's she'll get her done really expeditiously. Like they didn't they didn't have any hardcore edits to our application. Mm -hmm. So it was it was pretty quick. So the biggest thing was that the poet lawyer program at the time didn't have funding. And so as we kind of rolled into doing more programming and ambitious programming, it was like, how are we going to get funding if the county is not allocating it? And so that was really the big push from Bruce to be like, I want to have this. Uh, and I was an employee at the time. So it was like, all right, I, I will do what I can to figure out how to make this happen. So we, we got it up off the ground. One of the biggest programs that's still going is the Poets in the Schools program. And overall, it's the exact same mission as the Poet Laureate program, which is to advance the knowledge and practice of poetry in the Valley. Uh, with like multiple tiers. So one of them being the Poets of National Stature program. I think we changed it to Poetry Promise reading now. <laughs> but either way, it's bring in either, you know, either large poets who have like a, not a, yeah, who have a resume or people who have traveled around the world and, and performed or read their work or so Sharon Olds and Tracy K. Smith and Lord Saul Williams we brought in Patricia Smith uh and but then we also have a lot of poets from the Bay Area because that's a community Bruce is really close with so we'd bring in um Jan Steckel who has won several Lambda Literary Awards um and a couple of like she was a pediatrician so she writes a lot about the body as well and like medical stuff so she's won some awards in that realm as well so I don't know, giving people a chance to hear and see poets that are not just from here. Like, I think our literary community is amazing. And I think the way that we all grow is to also stop talking to the same people we talk to all the time about our writing. Sometimes you need somebody who does not live here, who yes. will not echo your style. And so that was the way we did it. Hence, every time somebody came, like when you came for Tracy K. Smith, she read, but she also taught a workshop so we could That's have right. both. So one of the ways that you've expressed here and the ways that I have seen you express your advocacy is by supporting other advocates. Hmm. My listeners learned about the Adobo or the, the Abodo Collective from my discussion with Erica Vitalazar. Hmm. 
another active activist. And yeah. I would like you to tell us about your recent interview with food justice activist Cheyenne Kyle. My girl, I love her. I'm so excited about everything that they are doing. So um, I think honoring your story, honoring other people's stories is also a form of activism. I think we don't think about it when we're in the moment, but later on down the line, as we tell one another stories, you start to learn like, oh, this is how you hold history. This is how you hold space. So with Cheyenne, um, I think just learning her story and that she used to work on the strip as a chef and then shifted gears and was like, uh, this isn't, this isn't right for me. This isn't a place where I can grow. And lo and behold, what she needed to do was just kind of have her hands in the dirt <laughs> and be growing <laughs> things. So I think I, I loved connecting with her on that level and bringing my nieces. So I got to actually get myself outside as well. And sometimes going outside is also your activism, <laughs> go get some fresh air, plant some, like decolonize the way that food uh, shows up in this world and plant some shit uh, is, is amazing. <laughs> so I got to go there and be at the garden and spend time. Well, farm, farm garden, you know, they grow food, <laughs> but it is explicitly a farm. So I think, yeah, those are kind of the two big things. And then later on, I kind of connected to her and to Erica and Tamika and just kind of talked about like, you know, how are you writing grants? And do you have a form laid out? And do you have kind of a page where you have, you know, your EIN and your, all the stupid numbers you need to have in order to, because if you have it all in one place, every place, every, most grants ask for the same things mm -hmm. in different ways. And if you have a plug and play process, it just makes it easier uh, then scrambling being like, where is our EIN and where's our, our Dunn's number and where's this other thing? And there's, there's a Sam's number now. So putting all that stuff together. So I just, um, I leaned towards that and then, oh, and then I, I pledged 50% uh, of my audiobook sales. <laughs> oh, nice. I was like, is that what you were asking me about? I have no idea, Tommy. <laughs> I did like eight things with them because I, I talked to Cheyenne for like four hours. So, but what I did there was were I too played. many things for me to list. So that's why I was like, let me just ask her to share okay. <laughs> whatever she thinks is the most important right. to share. Let me give but you, I'm like, on that note, find a concise list. <laughs> I mean, this is active activism. If you are pledging 50% of your work, why don't you share that so that people know where that they can purchase that? Yeah. So I finished up my audiobook, which was like a, a process <laughs> and a half, but I, that's a whole story too. <laughs> I'm going to go in order of the things you're asking me. So <laughs> I completed the audiobook, made the decision that I really want to see the farm continue to flourish. I want to see how I can help them get the next sets of furniture and tools that they need in the space. And I was like, well, how can I make my art, you know, work? How do I turn my, my art into money, but also not shorthand myself? Because I don't want to overgive and I don't want to undergive, but I'm like, how do you turn this into money? And one of my favorite um, activists is actually Eve Ensler because the way that the vagina monologues is set up 50% of the, no, 90% of the funds goes to a local organization supporting women and 10% goes to the global um, campaign, whatever campaign she picks that year. And that this is, it's the same show, the same show runs <laughs> annually in 50, 11 places. And that's, 
it's one thing that she wrote and it's still living. And so I was like, ooh, you know, I'm gonna tap into my inner Evans layer. Like this is the dream. So I pledged 50% of all of my audiobook sales to the Aboto Collective. So if people want to get that, they can get it at Vogue316.com and then click shop and literary art because you got to make your way to the literary goods. <laughs> that's, that's one thing that that makes me happy. <laughs> and it was an exciting idea because I don't have to do more or less. It's just like, here's a bonus. Like you were already going to buy my stuff anyways, but I'm going to donate X amount over here. Right. And see what happens. And the link will definitely be in the show notes. Thank you. Oh, yeah, that's that's exciting. so tell us about CityCast. What do you do for them? And do you feel it is in any way tied to your activism? So CityCast Las Vegas is a daily podcast. Um, so I'm the co-host. So it's myself and David Figler. We're co-co-hosts. And the overall goal of the show is to connect the city, connect people to the city that they love. So there's one for Denver. There's one for Salt Lake City. There's one for Chicago. There's like eight. Uh, but we are the Las Vegas one. And it comes back to, to story about the narrative that people have in their mind about Vegas versus the people who live here and the stories we have to tell about Vegas. And I think myself and everybody on the team has a deep love for the city and wants to show the city in in a clearer light or to like, you know, widescreen this shit so you can see the rest of the town because everybody thinks it's just the strip and love a little unincorporated Clark County over there. And it's like, no, 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 there's more. And even for myself in having this job, I've learned more about North Las Vegas and like how this government runs and like, oh, first black mayor of the entire state of Nevada. What? <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> And then one of the most diverse city councils is what we have for North Las Vegas. So I just got to attend the state of the state um, address from the mayor. And that was a couple of weeks ago. So I'm learning more about how the city is run. I'm, I get to ask more questions. We get to have a bit of fun, but I, I hope that we're honoring the stories of different Las Vegans. Um, that's the goal. I don't know. What do you think? Is it, do you like it? Do you like our show, Tanya? I think you were the perfect choice for co-host. Thanks. And I've heard, I've heard this from multiple sources. So don't just take my word for it. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. But yeah, I push hard for the arts. Um, every art episode is probably one that I pitched where I'm like, can we go to this art gallery? Can we go over here? Can we talk yeah. about poetry? That's kind of why I asked this question because you can see some of the topics feel like they may have been influenced by you. And I think that is a form of activism to be like, okay, this show is about this, but maybe we could introduce this element mm -hmm. or bring on this artist or showcase this work and you know, nudge, nudge. <laughs> yes, that is definitely me. Sometimes I feel a little bad because they're like, well, because, well, I'm like everybody, those episodes don't always do as well as we want them to. They, the art is hard to translate orally. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know? but that doesn't mean we shouldn't share it and try. Right, so I think once you, once you give those episodes a listen, I think you, you get to get some insight and oftentimes artists don't always talk about their work because they want it to speak for itself, but there's insight in at least the process. And I hope that we got to dig into those components as well. But yeah, I definitely, I am the one who's always like, can we do this? But it's Scott too. Scott Dickensheets is also like the king of like, can we do some stuff on this art thing? And and the team is willing, the team is interested. And yeah. we want to see and and learn more about the thing in the city. And I think, I think that's the thing I'm most interested in 
as we go through it is like to show that Vegas is chock full of artists, that this is a city that's powered by artists in multiple ways. It's the strip and the classroom and the literary organizations and, and, and like all this whole city (laughs) is powered by some bomb ass art of the architects, you know, like it's, there's so many, it's so good. (laughs) So speaking of art and artists in its various forms, tell us about Pearls of Gratitude. Oh, I never call it that anymore. It's so funny. It's like when people call you, like my, my spouse calls me by my actual name. I'm like, oh, she called me Vogue. That's my name. (laughs) (laughs) so pearls of gratitude so funny uh it is my my art my art in honor of my grandmother and my grandma's middle name was pearl and um (laughs) all the other sisters had flower middle names apparently when they got to her uh her mom couldn't think of a flower so she got (laughs) she's a jewel (laughs) yes i was like she's shining so uh grandma was a watercolor artist and I I wanted to have that kind of like physical practice as a connection to her after she passed away. Uh, And I have not mastered watercolors yet. Um, I don't know if I want to try, (laughs) but I I got into fluid art, which is very kind of see what happens kind of art. Very much like here's here, here here's some, there are rules, if you will, about the density of the paint. So it gets really sciencey. So there's the part of my brain that loves like, if you mix acrylic paint with water, then it will flow at this level, depending on the viscosity. If you add too much water, then the paint will separate from its binders. And then anyways, <laughs> this this is like a 12 hour thing. But <laughs> in short term, I like the unpredictability of it. Uh, it helped me a lot getting through the first uh, couple of years of heightened levels of the pandemic because it mimicked real life, which was like, I don't know what's going to happen. I can't control this. I can move things around. I can shift gears. I can add something or take something away, but I'm not 100% in charge. And so pretty much every time I make a painting, that's that's what's in my head is like, I don't know what the hell's going to happen. I'm going to try. And then most of the time I'm really like uh, pleasantly surprised at the outcomes. And uh, And then working at Left of Center Art Gallery has helped me understand color theory more and to try my hand at working with brushes more often or my little Posca paint markers, which are really fun. If you have not played with Posca paint markers, come get some of mine and play with them because <laughs> they're they're really fun. Yeah. Um, well, are Mal, there Mal, any other causes that you'd like to share with us? Uh, the other part of Pearls of Gratitude that is the activism is also that I send people two thank you cards when they buy a painting. And so the first thank you card is a letter I want them to write to themselves and like hide it from yourself and then find it letter later. <laughs> and it's like a thank yourself for getting through life. And then the second letter is a thank you note I want them to mail to a friend. And I usually send people a stamp as well. So there's no excuses. <laughs> oh, stamp. No, I sent you a stamp. So you need to be mailing out thank you cards to people that you love and that you care for, um, which really comes back to kind of what we were talking about before we started recording. But that, yeah. that combo of how do we show people that we love and care for them and making sure we do that while they're still here? Yes taking time to hand write something which is the counterintuitive for so many of us <laughs> but it, it there's something that happens between the brain and your hand and your memory when you write things down and so 
out of all the things I, I want to remember and all the notes I have taken and all these damn classes I have taken, like <laughs> I, I'm quite happy with remembering the, the handwritten letters that I've written to friends and family. And I still have handwritten letters from my grandmother. I keep them with my business cards. So when I'm shipping uh, a painting out, like all, uh, like my, and they're flowers, they're little, they're all uh, circular little rose looking flower cards and her handwriting is in them. So like, I'll stop and I'll read a note that she wrote me and then I will move that out of my way and <laughs> pull out my business cards and put them into the package. So it it's a labor of love and, and me attempting to slow down. And I think taking good care of ourselves and each other is probably the, the highest form of self-care, not self-care, but the highest form of activism because if we're taking good care of ourselves and each other, then that helps us to make room to do things, to, to fight against injustice, um, to fight against capitalism that, that puts us in a space where we are always on the run and on the move just to survive um, and to give people grace and that they're having a rough time, a rough day, in their middle of grief, whatever, whatever the fuck it is. <laughs> like, I think that's the heart of all that I do. And so, yeah, if I teach somebody how to write a grant, it's because I want them to have the capability to to make time to do something that brings them joy and allows them to share their story. Um, yeah. And then you just make everything accessible. As, like I did the audiobook because I wanted it to be accessible. Um, I had an album in mind and it was going to be, you know, 12 of the poems. And then I was like, well, but there's a whole group of people who have never, who are never going to have access to my work if I don't record the full book in audio form. And I have another friend who's turning my book and making it like large print because I had a woman <laughs> who was like, oh, I can't read this. I'll have my granddaughter read it to me. And I was like, why is your granddaughter going to read it to you? And she's like, oh, this font is too small. And I was like, well, that's stupid. <laughs> like stupid Vogue, fix it. And it's a fixable thing. <laughs> so uh, that's the the beauty of now at this point, uh, I'm in charge of the publication process for my first book because it's, it's a little nomad book out, <laughs> out of the air with no publisher. <laughs> my publisher, <laughs> publishing company died. So oh. I, I have the right to, to change the structure of that book and make it accessible. So yeah, just trying to find all the small and big things I can do um, even in the way that I teach. So if someone speaks a language that's not my native tongue I'm like write that shit in your language and then you know you can kind of translate it to me but if it makes sense to you like I can still teach you how to edit yeah <laughs> the principles you know you're the cool one that speaks multiple languages so you'll figure this shit out but write it in your native tongue uh, and even that that's my grandma and that's that comes all the way back to you know being able to to share your culture with with your community and also with others. Um, and say so she touches everything that you do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's my whole life. <laughs> but she raised me. She raised myself and my sister. But you and... are her legacy. You get it. I do. <laughs> you get it. Please tell listeners the best way that they can support you and the work that you do. Uh, write yourself a thank you note. <laughs> Send a nice note to Tanya and rate the podcast. Um, let's see. Go get my book, but go get the audiobook version. Then I can give money to a Bodo Collective. 
and uh, stop by Left of Center Art Gallery on a Saturday and come hang out with artists, artists from multiple generations. And, you know, I don't know, say nice shit to your grandma. If she's nice to you, like if it's a grandma that you're so cool with, then spend some spend some time. Write your grandma a note, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it it means so much to so many people, uh, regardless of age. But if you if you can't make time, because I was a busybody person, so I wish I would have written her more notes. Um, but yeah, I think those are those are all the ways. Deal with yourself. I, first. I will add that. Buying that audiobook is also going to be a treat for you because you just, her words are beautiful on paper, but the way that she expresses them, the way that she shares it, it's, I don't know that I've ever heard her read a poem where I didn't tear up. I just, I can't think of any time that I have. It's not always the same poem. It's just, there's something very moving about your work. You are so passionate that it comes through. And when you read it yourself, it's just, oh. You feel it move through you. So do it because it's a good cause, but do it for yourself too. Yes. Get it for you. <laughs> Treat yourself. <laughs> so folk316.com and then click on shop and get your shop on. <laughs> well, thank you again for sharing your advocacy. Thank you to our listeners. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, share, comment, and subscribe. This has been Active Activism, part of the Fem On Collective.